everyone, Melissa Murphy from The Fund, and welcome to our Title Now pop-up webinar series. This is the third in a series of webinars that we're doing every Thursday at noon, uh, trying to focus on issues of interest to the real estate industry and specifically the settlement services industry. And we'll throw some title insurance stuff in there too from time to time. We're hoping to do these webinars through the end of at least May to provide you with some good information uh, to deal with issues around this. Primarily the pandemic is our focus initially, but we'll see how it goes. I would love to continue these if the interest is there and we can. We're gonna push this content out to our podcast also, Title Now is the name of the podcast. And so if you miss one of the weekly live webinars, you can always catch the content uh, through an audio version of it on that podcast. And you can get that podcast wherever you register for your podcast. So look for it there. Much of the news that you are hearing and reading is focused on the economic impact that this pandemic has had on our nature, on our nation and on our economy. And that information deals with the impact on many, many different levels and in many, many different ways. But making sense of the economic impact of this pandemic is very important for us on both a personal level in making decisions um, about your personal life and about your family lives, but also your businesses. What information do you need? What information is important to you to make decisions about the future of your business? So getting information about the economy um, from someone who's an expert in this area sounded like a pretty good idea to me, and I hope you agree. That's why my guest today is Dr. Anabon Basu. Dr. Basu is chairman and CEO of Sage Policy Group, and SAGE is an economic and policy consulting firm based in Baltimore, Maryland. So that's where you're seeing Dr. Basu talking to you from is his home in Baltimore. And his company provides strategic analysis to a number of different industry groups, but real estate is included in that group. Dr. Basu is also no stranger to us. He spoke at assembly last year, and he has spoken at a number of fund and old republic title uh, events so um, i've heard him present a number of times and i know that um, he is the perfect person to talk with us today and help us make sense of what is going on we are going to be taking questions we're going to try to save about you know between five and ten minutes for questions at the end so you can access um, or send me questions by accessing the question button in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. Uh, so just send your message, your question to me, um, and I will try to sort through and figure out what topics are of the most interest and pose those questions to Dr. Basu. So welcome, Dr. Basu. Thank you for joining us today. So how are you? talking to folks in the real estate industry about the current economic situation? Well, I'm telling them the truth, I think. I mean, this is the worst oh, period of our economic lives. And we know that, and I could focus a lot on all the devastation that the pandemic has wrought upon the economy thus far, the 
4.8% decline in first quarter GDP on an annualized basis, which basically reflected how badly the economy was performing the last three weeks of March. Because until March 9th, uh, the financial markets in America didn't even notice that there was a pandemic. I mean, the, the Dow Jones and other indices were still rising on March 9th, which is a Monday. Uh, the Dow Jones falls more than 2,000 points. It wasn't until March 11th that the Utah Jazz are ushered away from the basketball court because their all-star center, Rudy Gobert, had been diagnosed with COVID-19. Days later, his a fellow all-star Donovan Mitchell would be diagnosed and the NBA season was canceled, so on and so forth. That was that was March. And here yeah. we are still in April, clinging on to April here, and it feels like we've been in this forever. We could talk about the fact that uh, during the current quarter, the second quarter of 2020, GDP probably will fall in the range of 25 to 30% on an annualized basis. Just to juxtapose that, during the worst of the Great Recession, which was the fourth quarter of 2008, GDP fell 8.4%. So this is much worse than that. And I think you'll remember how bad that period was for real estate and for Florida generally. And so that's that's where we are right now. But this is different. Because rather than focus on the fact that 30 million people have filed for unemployment insurance claims since March 15th and so on and so forth, I want to focus on the recovery to come. Uh, and there's been this big debate about whether or not it would be a uh, a U-shaped recovery, an L-shape, a V-shape, a Nike swoosh, a square root, a check mark. Uh, as far as I can see, it's going to be a V. We're going to come out of this pretty quickly. We turn the economy off, light switch. We're going to turn the economy back on. Not quite a light switch. Of, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three, Georgia first, Florida second, whatever it happens to be. Um, states in the north may be last. But the point is, we're going to turn this economy back on over the course of a couple of months. And you're going to see a really profoundly good, I think, third quarter of 2020 from an economic growth perspective and a profoundly good fourth quarter of 2020. Uh, and you're going to see that in Florida. And, and that's going to have some implications for real estate. Please know that the broader implications for real estate are not positive. They can't be. I mean, we lost a lot of economic activity here. A lot of people have lost economic in income. You know, a lot of businesses are not going to return to life. Uh, and a lot of households have had to take on even more debt. So there's that. But there's some reasons to be quite optimistic about Florida real estate, and I want to talk about that. First, interest rates are low. They're really low. Second, I have to tell you, there are probably a lot of folks in places like New York and northern New Jersey who are saying, you know what, I wish I had a place in Florida. I wish <laughs> if this was happening that I could have gone someplace else. Now, some people did. You know, the, the very wealthy, they went to the Hamptons and so on and so forth and hung out there, but most people don't have that kind of option. Not to say that Florida is inexpensive. But, it, you know, I think people are going to, many people are going to be looking at those, in those metropolitan areas, Chicago, Illinois, uh, Southeast Michigan, very urban areas and saying, boy, I wish I had someplace warmer to go to and someplace where if this ever happens again, I can escape to for a while and not feel so trapped. Um, and so uh, that's another factor. Third, one thing hasn't changed. The most common age in America is 28. That hasn't changed. Second most common age in America is 29. Third most common age in America is 27. We have a lot of 20-somethings. And guess what 20-somethings do? They turn into 30-somethings. And guess what 30-somethings do? They get married, form households, buy homes, move to the suburbs. A lot of us have a tendency when we think about Florida, think about that second homes market. But there's a first homes market too. And Florida has one of the largest populations in America, a full-time year-round resident. And that market is going to come back to life as well. There's some other things happening. There's a lot of stimulus coming from the Federal Reserve and the federal government. Gasoline prices are low. There are a lot of things that are going to pump this economy forward into the third and fourth quarters. And the reason I think it's going to be a V-shaped recovery, not a U-shaped recovery. 
And I tell you, part of this is, I, I think part of this expectation, at least on my part, is based on other pandemics in other parts of the world over history. So if you look very carefully at data characterizing Hong Kong's economy in 2003 for the mess of the SARS pandemic, that economy fell through the floor, very bad couple of quarters, and then it raced back up the next couple of quarters after that. It was a V-shaped recovery, and we've seen that time and time again. So history tells us that's likely to be a V-shaped recovery, even though there's a lot of pessimism right now about that. And so um, I'll tell you, the, the third and fourth quarter should be quite good from an economic growth perspective. Again, confidence has to reemerge. So to buy a home or to lease office space, it takes confidence. And I have to admit, confidence has been shot. Yeah, Melissa. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about the timing of this V-shape, because you think we're going to bounce back very quickly. What, what indicates to you that we are going to bounce back that quickly in the third and fourth quarter of 2020? I want to be clear, Melissa. I'm not talking about complete recovery. Uh, it's an awkwardly shaped V. Okay. I'm going to recover completely, get back to the unemployment rate that we enjoyed pre-crisis, the office vacancy rates, the apartment occupancy rates. It's going to take years. So when I say a V, I'm saying that the, the, the bottom fell out of this economy very quickly during the end of the first quarter and during the second quarter, and we're going to see some racing back to the third and fourth quarter. It's going to feel very good. Now, it's not a V for everybody. If a restaurant closes... They're done. They don't participate in that recovery, do they? If a construction firm stops operating, they don't participate, but they leave more market share available for those who survive. So if you think about it, yeah, we're going to lose a lot of retailers. Who's going to get busier? Amazon? We've already seen some of that. So the winners win big. That's part of the nature of this. And often it is the case, and part of this is sad in my mind, the big get bigger because they have the best balance sheets, the most survivability. They're most likely to get government bailouts. We're not going to let Delta Airlines fail, American Airlines fail, United Airlines fail. Why? Because they're big. So, yeah. uh, you know, so, so there's that. So I don't want people to interpret this as me suggesting naively that we're going to recover completely by the fourth quarter of the year. No, it's going to take years. And I say part of that's because it's going to take some time for confidence to be fully reestablished. Part of that's because balance sheets, whether corporate or household balance sheets, have been devastated in many cases. But there are going to be some winners who come out of this. Young people are still young and still moving into the 30s in large numbers. People want to form families. Interest rates are low. Gasoline prices are going to be very low. Airfares are going to be low. And by the way, here's another reason to think we're going to come back quicker than many people expect. That's what happened after the Great Recession. And, and people live or choose to live in a certain way. You remember during the Great Recession, which was, uh, again, you know, really horrific in Florida in particular. Right. Remember the Great Recession, there was all this talk about, ah, the American household, they're going to deleverage now. They'll never take on debt the way they once did. They've learned their lesson. They're not taking, are you kidding me? Coming into this crisis, we had a record level of household debt. Record level. You don't think so, people took on student loans, auto loans, mortgages? Of course they did. So what builds that confidence? What are the factors that allow that confidence to improve? Well, one, you know, it said the time heals all wounds. But the bigger factor, I think, the real cure... <laughs> comes from companies like uh, Regeneron, Gilead Sciences, Pfizer, Merck, Sanofi Aventis, Bayer AG. Someone in the global life science security has to come up with therapies and vaccines, right? We need at least one workable vaccine. That's when the confidence comes back. Uh, now, you might say, well, are people always going to be nervous that the next pandemic is around the corner? Maybe. I don't think so. I don't think you can live your life that way. The fact of the matter is we live in a certain way because we like it. 
you know, we, we like going to baseball games. You know, I, I, I like it so much I'm even willing to watch the Baltimore Orioles. I like basketball <laughs> so much I even watch the Washington Wizards. That gives you some sense. I like it. Imagine if those teams were good or competitive. So, um, so, so we're going to want to get back to it. Here's another reason I think it's going to be a V, that we're going to have a really rapid period of initial recovery. Hand up demand. Right? Yeah. There are people coming into this period who said, I want to buy a house. I want to buy a car. And then they have postponed that. But they still want the car. They still want the house. And borrowing costs are low. And bankers at some point are going to say, you know what? I've got all this liquidity. I've got all these bank deposits. I need to make some loans if I want to make any money. And, you know, there are going to be some folks out there whose credit scores are not going to hold up that well. We understand that. We all get that. But some people somehow are managing through this crisis. Their credit scores are going to remain high. And they're going to benefit from those lower interest rates. And they're going to transact. So whether we're talking about demographics of the young, demographics of the baby boomers, the, the the considerations regarding I'd love to have a place to go to if this ever happens again in Seattle or New York or Chicago or Detroit. Um, all of that, I think, favors at least over the next two or three years over that period, some good times for Florida real estate. What about tourism in Florida? What do you see needing to happen for for people to have that level of confidence to come back to Florida and spend their money? You know, I look and they opened a couple of days ago, the beaches in Australia and the beaches were instantly flooded. Is that about confidence? No, they really want to go to the beach. And the people of America, the world really want to go to Disney and they really want to go to Universal Studios and they really want to go to South Beach and they want to and they want to go to Clearwater, you know, and they want to hang out in Florida. So it's going to take some time. But look, is it not true that after 9-11, we started flying on airplanes again? I mean, we were scared at first, we were nervous, but ultimately, I mean, the airlines have never been busier. I mean, for a time there, you hardly ever saw an empty seat, whether middle seat or aisle seat, right? So we people, we humans live in a particular way because we like it. And there are things that happen out there, stock market crash of October 1987, or you know, the dot-com bust of 2000, or 9-11, and that can interrupt activity for a time, but the pattern has been that we just returned to the way we had been behaving before with some modification. There are probably going to be some more people who work remotely and so on and so forth after this episode. There's probably going to be more people who order on DoorDash and Grubhub than used to be the case. But a lot of stuff is going to come back the way it used to be because that's the way we liked it. Because that's the way, you know, that's why it was the way it was. So do you think that there's anything in particular that the tourism folks need to do in order to make sure that confidence comes? And what about our other big market uh, for real estate closings, those retirees? How is that all factoring in there? And how do you fit that into this V? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good question with respect to the retirees. And it just depends upon their circumstances. As you know, an incredible fraction of pre-retirees, let's say baby boomers, late 50s, early 60s, have nothing saved for retirement. Nothing. Nothing. And another fraction have less than $5,000 saved for retirement. Almost nothing. So for that group, what are you going to say? I mean, I don't think they were in the market to buy a second home in Florida to begin with. And I'm not even sure they're in a market to even begin to you know, think about you know, selling a home and, and retiring to Florida because they don't probably own a home. And one of the, one of the, the keys to moving to Florida for retirement is you sell your existing home in Boston or in Chicago or wherever it happens to be, Indianapolis, 
and you use the equity from that home to purchase your Florida property. So a couple of questions here. One is, what's happening to that equity in people's homes? Are home values declining? I haven't heard such a thing. And coming into this period, one of the really nice aspects of the economy coming into this period was that the inventory of unsold homes was low. When the challenge had been, if you talk to realtors, the challenge had been, look, I got lots of people looking at homes. Interest rates are low. Millennials are coming of age. You know, people are looking, thinking about buying that second home or retiring to Florida, whatever it happens. I got lots of people looking at homes. I got very little to show them. The inventory is low. Well, it's still pretty low. And though, you know, getting to the settlement table is more difficult right now and dealing with all the issues of remote signing and this kind of thing, I, I get it. It must be a great challenge to the folks that work for title companies on this call. I, I, I can imagine. Nonetheless, what I see in the data are people are still transacting. You know, I see homes still selling and actually often very quickly. So there will be some impact on that retirement mar market, that movement of retirees to Florida, but I don't think it's going to be unduly negative. And you asked the question about tourism and confidence also. Um, yeah, for a time, they're going to have to wipe down all the seats on the roller coasters and they're going to have to do other things. And, and you know, we might have to have social distancing at conference centers. I mean, we were talking before the webinar about, you know, Florida um, opening up parts of its economy and restaurants allowing in a quarter of, you know, the, you know fulfilling a, uh, filling a quarter of its capacity, that, that being okay, but wanting to maintain social distancing inside and outside. So that's going to happen. But at some point, you know, some kid is going to come back to school and say, hey, we went to Disney and we had a great time. And all the other kids in that classroom are going to say to their parents, you know what, Chucky went to Disney. Can we go? Yeah. And they're going to say, yeah, sure, let's go. And that's the way it's going to be. It's not immediately, but by this time next year, watch out. We're going to be in a very different place, psychologically and otherwise. So I, have you factored in to all these sort of prognostications, all of the scientific opinions that there's going to be this flare-up and resurgence in the fall of the COVID-19? Right. So I've been thinking a lot about that as I've been going on webinars and talking about this V-shaped recovery, which, by the way, could become a double, but set that aside for now. Um, so, yes, I mean, there's all this talk about the uh, pandemic coming back in the fall and us potentially having to shut down the economy again. I just don't see it. I'll tell you why. This is almost faith at this point. Faith in whom? The geniuses who work in the global life sciences community. Because already we're hearing Pfizer talk about a vaccine that might be available in the fall, an emergency vaccine. Already we're hearing about a Gilead Sciences drug, remdesivir, proving to be effective as a treatment, at least in certain circumstances, for COVID-19. So the medical community is catching up to this. We are in late April right now. By the fall, medical technology on this front will have moved forward aggressively. That's my prediction. That's the prediction on which I'm basing my economic prediction. Of course, I could be wrong. I mean, did I know that there was a pandemic going to come in the first place? No. Though I said to audiences who had listened to me, coming into this period, the chances of recession were high, even before the pandemic. There were some vulnerabilities in the economy. But, um, but I just, I have not really built that into my forecast because I can see on a day-by-day -day basis, we're hearing announcements by the, you know, from the global life science community, we're making progress on this thing. Right. What, do you, what about the fact that this is an election year and it's an important election year? It's a presidential election year. It's not just one of our regular cycles here in Florida. Right. So hopefully we won't have to discuss things like hanging chads. I mean, I actually would like it if the news was focused on hanging chads come November. That would be actually very yeah, good. But, yeah. um, that would be comforting. That would be comforting. Uh, but uh, so, yes, that has made the response more awkward. Because there's high stakes in this election. 
mean, Democrats really don't want Donald Trump to be reelected. And Republicans really don't want Democrats to take back the House and the Senate, or and already they have the House. So, um, so the stakes are high. And, and that can toy with, uh, you know, people's uh, motivations in terms of how policymakers in Washington, D.C. are dealing with it. There's also the issue of the national debt. You know, we came into this crisis with $23.5 trillion mm-hmm. in debt, and we will add about 3 to $4 trillion more at least. Uh, there's probably going to be a couple more stimulus packages, one for state and local governments. I'm sure you've seen it in Tallahassee, but we're seeing it across the country, state capitals. Governors are scrambling for revenues to try to fill holes in their current fiscal year budgets. Um, and then I think we'll see an infrastructure-oriented stimulus package as well, though that might come after the presidential election. But yeah, you know, I've been saying that one of the uncertainties facing the uh, the economy in 2020 is the elections, the presidential elections, high stakes, and, and the awkwardness that creates for policymakers who have mixed motivations as we approach November as they're trying to also deal with this COVID-19 crisis. So far, I think you have to say we've had some bipartisanship, right? We've had four stimulus packages passed. To date, I'm not saying that they're perfect, but it took both parties to support them. And I think we're getting more stimulus because uh, this economy for now is going to get worse before it gets better. We have a question here about interest rates. Um, what do you see about uh, what's going to happen with the interest rates? Are they going to stay low for an extended period of time? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So the question is, are they going to stay low for an extended period of time? Now, yes, I think they're going to stay low for an extended period of time. Will they stay as low as they are right this moment? That's unlikely. I mean, when the economy really starts to come back in earnest, I doubt that you're going to see a yield on the 10-year treasury of 0.59%, where we are today. Um, you're going to see something, you know, you're going to see interest rates rise. But does that mean much? When interest rates are so rock bottom, some incremental or marginal increase in them as the economy comes back to life is not a big deal. The fact of the matter is the world is going to have a recession this year. And there's a lot of fear that's going to still be left over. And so there are going to be a lot of people clinging to fixed income assets, trying to stay away from riskier assets. They're going to own U.S. treasuries, 10-year, 5-year treasuries. And that's going to keep interest rates low for the foreseeable future. Again, I'm not suggesting that there will be no increase once we get back to it. Because once economic activity picks up, you would expect to see an increase in interest rates. We've seen an unusual decline in interest rates during the pandemic. So presumably when the pandemic ends, interest rates pop a little bit, but not phenomenally. And the Federal Reserve is going to work very hard to keep them low. That's what they have said. And they want to keep this economy going again. And they're not worried about inflation right now, I can tell you that. Well, I'm old enough to remember that when I first started practicing law and was handling real estate transactions, the interest rates... They were 15%, 16%, and people still bought homes. So I get kind of a chuckle out of people that are uh, getting very upset when the interest rate goes from 2.75 to 2.95, <laughs> something like that. Well, you remember that in late 2018, when the uh, interest rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage rose to around 5%, a lot of the housing market actually shut down. Sales really slowed. It doesn't it is- much. I mean. The, the, the just uh, in new generation thinks five percent interest rates are high, you yeah. know, right? These millennials because they don't remember eighteen percent, they don't remember fifteen percent, they don't remember Jimmy Carter, they don't remember <laughs> Michael Jordan. Uh, and so that's um, a real Travis. They think LeBron is the greatest because they didn't see Michael Jordan in his heyday. Some of them think, uh, you know, the, Michael Jordan was the old guy that joined the Washington Wizards, you know, but they don't. Anyway, the point is this. Um, 
I, I shouldn't spend my time bashing millennials, so it's an enjoyable thing to do. The point is, it, it, we need interest rates probably given the psychology of the market, and the 30-year fix is right now at 3.22% nationally, but um, to keep this market going. But my point is simply this. I would not expect to see a very significant increase or an even significant increase in interest rates anytime soon, given the nature of the world economy uh, and given the nature of people's thinking about their own portfolios. Let's talk about the world economy for a moment, because I do have a question um, about what your perspective is about China's economic outlook. Um, what about those shipping numbers for raw materials that come or go to China? Um, what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I've been saying for a while, actually pre-pandemic, that I thought that the Chinese economy was in trouble, that the, the last, let's say four decades, since the late 70s, early 80s, have been a phenomenal period for the Chinese economy. They've been you know, basically the fastest growing of the major economies in the world, now the second largest economy on the planet, responsible for a quarter of global manufacturing, all of those things. Largest middle class in the world, all, all of that. Uh, but well, even before the pandemic, there was a movement to, sh to shift supply chains out of China. The Chinese worker is not as affordable as they once were. There are still a lot of considerations regarding human capital and protecting human capital. Uh, and uh, also uh, intellectual capital and protecting intellectual capital. And so um, what we've seen is a migration of supply chains from China to Mexico, China to Vietnam and other parts of the world. And now with this COVID-19 crisis and the interruption in global supply chains, and it began in China as it turns out, there are a lot of CEOs, American CEOs who do business in China saying, you know what, I can't do business as usual. This, this notion that I would simply take all my production and move it to China because that was where it was cheapest and I could enjoy economies of scale, that's not working for me anymore. My customers are in North America and Europe, and I need to be closer to them. And we just ratified the USMCA, the US-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreement, which is a very good agreement for North America. It induces global CEOs to put more of their production in North America to benefit from favorable tariff treatment here. To deal, and, and look, the American economy is huge. It's the first or the leading economy in the world. It's the largest economy in the world. But Canada is 10th. Mexico is 16th. We've got three major economies in North America. We've got some juice here. So you're mm -hmm. going to see a lot of supply chain movement back to the United States of America. It's going to be very good for the manufacturing worker. Uh, I hope it's very good for markets in Florida, including industrial markets like Jacksonville, but many others. And so uh, that's something to watch for going forward. And I think the Chinese economy is going to be a little bit rocky going forward because of that. Mm -hmm. Let's move back to um, home sales, home values, and foreclosures. With the new federal law that uh, requires lenders to make some kind of arrangement for forbearance with their customers, not clear enough <laughs> direction in that bill, but nevertheless, it's there. Can you comment on foreclosure likelihoods, how that's going to change the real estate market? There are going to be more foreclosures. I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, there are going to be more foreclosures coming out of this. Why is that, by the way? It's because some people will not be able to return to their previous job. If, 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 if we could simply guarantee that the job you had is the job you're going to get when we come out of this, when we reopen the economy, that's one thing. But we know that's not going to be the case. That's going to take some time, uh, years, for the unemployment rate to be as low as it had been. And so there are going to be some people out there who are not going to be able to make that mortgage payment. So what does that mean? That means foreclosures go up. Uh, it's not that they took out too much debt. It's not that they did anything wrong. It's that they got caught up in the worst period for, for the economy 
you know, since the Great Depression. That's that that. Now it's not the Great Depression because the Great Depression was over many years, and this is you know a few months, devastating months, but a few months. But yeah, there's going to be more foreclosure activity. The good news here, if there is good news, I, I don't like it when people lose homes. That's an awful, must be an awful thing, right? To have and then have not something so precious as a home. But uh, the good news is that unlike the 2008, 2009, into 2010, so on and so forth episode, there are going to be more buyers out there. There are going to be more qualifying buyers. Um, credit conditions will not tighten up as they did back then. You might remember that whole recession was uh, created because, or generated because people stopped paying their mortgages. Some people missed their first mortgage payment, the subprime mortgages uh, and, and subprime mortgage holders and others. Uh, so that was a different story. This is not. This was not caused by the housing market. This was not caused by fraudulent lending. This was not right. caused by excessive speculation in the housing sector. This is something else. We turn off the economy. That said, yeah. there's going to be more foreclosures, and and that creates an opportunity for buyers, I suppose. Yeah, very big difference. Well, in our final minute or so, Dr. Basu, do you have any um, parting comments or? Uh, maybe some hopeful advice for us people in the real estate market? We're Americans. And uh, that means we always bounce back. You know, we are less than 5% of the world's population. We're a quarter of its output. So I'm not saying we're perfect. We've got some issues, our politics and our national debt and all these kinds of things. But I, I may, I'll close on something maybe patriotic and a bit cheesy, perhaps. I really believe we Americans are the least messed up people in the world. Uh, and uh, and I guess that's that's my encouragement and one of the reasons I think we're going to bounce back. I love it. It's simple, easy to understand, not an economic um, jargon at all. We are the least messed up people in the world. Dr. Bassing, thank you for that thought. Uh, we will certainly keep that with us. And thanks to everybody for attending today's webinar. Um, we will have Dr. Basu back, uh, certainly in the future, so stay tuned for that. And as always, thank you for your support of the fund.